ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you've ever had to care for children, you'll know about 60% of the conversation with other caregivers is about how to get them to sleep. Throw in any changes to routine or a new worry on the child's mind and sleep problems can really spiral. Neurodivergence can also be a factor and some parents of children on the autism spectrum have turned to prescription melatonin. It's approved for children with a few specific diagnoses. But many other children, it seems, are also being prescribed melatonin in Australia and some families are turning to melatonin gummy lollies as sleep aids for their kids too, off prescription. Have you tried using these gummies to help your child sleep? I'd love to hear from you about how they worked for your family or if your children have been prescribed melatonin for sleep problems. How did that go? You can send us a text 0418 226 576. Professor Sarah Blunden is a paediatric sleep specialist, a psychologist and a director on the board of the International Paediatric Sleep Association. Sarah, welcome to Life Matters. Good morning. These are excellent qualifications to be having this discussion, which I think a lot of parents' ears will be pricking up for. But before we get into the melatonin situation, is there a rise in the numbers of children having trouble sleeping generally? Um, I I think that that's an interesting question. We certainly um, understand more about sleep and sleep is much more of a conversation than it may have been I know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I, I, in your intro, in your promo, you were saying, you know, that 60% of people had that conversation and they do. And that's particularly for young babies. But I think that the conversation around the importance of sleep and what it must do has now been on the agenda of health um, for quite a long time. And so that really has become much more important. People are much more able to verse their concerns. Parents uh, go looking for help and there is more help available. So it's becoming more of a narrative in the community, I guess. And that's where... Um, the conversations over the coffee machine or the conversations at the school drop-off happen around sleep and melatonin, I suspect. Yes, indeed. Well, let's look at the, the use of melatonin. How widespread is that in children? It's becoming more widespread. Number in terms of percentages, we don't have it. Um, I've uh, one of my team have just published a paper just last year about the numbers of people that were prescribing melatonin, and on that survey, it was an anonymous survey around Australia. We found that about seventy percent of the people that were prescribing melatonin for sleep problems um, were not uh, were getting it prescribed or accessing it without actually having the diagnosis that they needed. So um, a very small uh, percentage of people who get melatonin are um, those for whom it is recommended. Now, the... uh, the prescription and the access and the use of melatonin has risen exponentially across the world in the last 10 years. I recently attended World Sleep in in Rio um, and presented at a forum on melatonin usage and there were people from the UK, from Italy, from Thailand and Australia and the US all expressing this um, exponential rise in melatonin. The specific numbers I haven't got for you but uh, it is certainly to the point where all of us in this area are pricking up our ears and listening with intent. So Sarah why is it not recommended for kids other than those with a couple of very specific diagnoses, Smith-Magenesis syndrome and ASD? 
Yeah, because we don't have the data, um, as you'd no doubt know, in order to be able to get a, a drug approved by the TGA in Australia, it needs to go through rigorous trials. It needs to be understood. It needs to be trialled in animals and it needs to be trialled in um, randomised control trials in children and the target populations. And we haven't got enough data on melatonin in those other populations, not the neurodiverse populations. We don't even have enough data on children with ADHD, which is also in that category, um, for whom uh, melatonin seems to be working very well. There are um, there are data that show that. It's just that those randomised controlled trials haven't quite made it through the process of the TGA recommendants in Australia. I understand that it's um, in the process of, in fact, I know it's in the process of being um, considered, but it's still not recommended. So without the data, without the science and the studies, the TGA won't recommend it. And so it's it's a very long process, as you'd probably know. Mm. Things happen in society and it takes a long time for the science and the randomised controlled trials to catch up so that we can prove, in inverted commas, that it's working. So GPs are obviously choosing to prescribe it uh, for reasons that are not falling under the TGA guidelines. We should clarify, it's not illegal to do that, it's just off-label prescribing. Absolutely. What what are the factors that are uh, causing GPs to make those decisions, do you think? I think that our society has changed a lot in that parents are often dual working, uh, there are um, there's a lot more pressure on parents to get the children to sleep, as you mentioned in your promo. I think that uh, when a parent comes to their first point of call, which would be either the community nurse or specifically the GP, and the parent is exhausted, the child is not sleeping, that can really, as I'm sure you know, really knock you around. It, sleep is the foundation of all health, mental and physical. And so when it doesn't go well, all the other stuff can not go well. So parents will come into the GP surgery and um, the the GP might say, look, this, this drug is effective. It looks like it's effective. We haven't got enough data to prove that as such, but it looks like it's effective. Um, also, the common uh, community conversations, as I said, at the school drop-off. So they'll go to their GP and they'll say, can I have melatonin? And if a, if a GP is struggling to help this family, I guess the temptation is there because I'm, the, there is there is availability. And so GPs are kind of struggling with what to do with that. Mm. So, I mean, how big a problem is this, Professor Sarah Blunden? Is it is it a problem because we don't have a long-term data on what effects the use of melatonin in children has or that other uh, strategies might be being missed in this social pressure to try melatonin? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's uh, both. There are behavioural sleep interventions, that is, Uh, helping parents to change their child's sleep patterns through psychology, which is what I do in my clinic, um, through uh, strategies and sleep hygiene and sleep habits and bedtime routines. There's lots of ways to improve sleep and they are very, very effective. And they are supposed to be the first point of call when you have a child that doesn't sleep. The GP should refer, uh, could refer to a sleep psychologist or someone with expertise in that area. And I mean qualifications in that area. And that is effective. And then if that doesn't work, melatonin might be an option. But maybe the pathways to sleep psychology um, are not uh, known enough. Maybe there's not enough of us. In fact, that's probably certainly the case. We are working very hard in our community of sleep psychologists to improve that. But if that pathway is not available or not known, or it might be a rural or remote location, that's going to be tricky. So melatonin would seem like a good option, I would think. Yes, though we might talk further in a moment about behavioural interventions and how widely disseminated that information can be and how easily. We're speaking with Professor Sarah Blunt 
London, who's a paediatric sleep specialist, a psychologist, and a director on the board of the International Paediatric Sleep Association. Uh, and new guidelines are imminent about prescribing melatonin. We'll check in with them uh, as we wind up this discussion here on Life Matters. Let's talk first, though, Sarah, about the melatonin gummies. They're available over the counter in the States, and I understand people have been uh, importing them here to try with their children as a sleep aid. What have you heard about this in, in your clinic, about how much it's happening and and some of the challenges around it? Um, yes, that's absolutely the case. Now, um, in Australia, uh, melatonin is only available um, be, uh, through TGA recommendations because it's a medication. It's deemed a medication. In the States, it's not. It's deemed a food supplement or a dietary supplement. So it's much more available and it doesn't have the rigorous... Um, oversight that medications do, both in Australia and the FDA in the States. So when melatonin is available across the counter and online, when parents are desperate and uh, they know about how to access it, they will go online and get melatonin gummies and they'll get them sent out from Australia. Now, um, this is not just a problem about melatonin. Melatonin, of course, I understand because I've looked into it. But we don't understand and we don't know what's exactly in those food supplements. As I said, the um, analysis is not rigorous as is with medication. So parents will be accessing a drug that they really don't know what might be or might not be in it. One would trust that it actually is the product that you're buying, but unfortunately that's not always the case. And on top of that, they would be giving melatonin gummies to their children without medical oversight. So there's no GP or paediatrician or other health professional that might be following that family. They might be just giving them because they think it is just like um, a dietary supplement, like they might give them iron or calcium or vitamin C for colds. It's not the same thing. Melatonin is a hormone. And so that's really a very different category. In addition to that, there have been a couple of studies that have come out um, examining the melatonin content of these gummies from many different sources around the world, most particularly from the United States. And some of those gummies um, contained no melatonin at all. Some of them contained 400% more than they said they did. And some of them contained other hormones that weren't recommended or um, noted on the uh, guidelines outside the bottle or the container. So that makes us worry even more that when parents are accessing a melatonin gummy online, they really don't know what they're giving. And because melatonin is a hormone, it's um, red flags of caution fly everywhere when I think about that. I see that happening in my clinic a lot. Just last month, I did um, a random survey anonymously of the clients that came in. Um, and I see 15 to 20 clients a week. And 60% of those came in using melatonin without a diagnosis to accompany that. So that's quite, quite a lot. Wow. So we've been talking today about the off-label prescribing of melatonin, but also the use of gummies without a prescription entirely or without any medical oversight with Professor Sarah Blunden. Uh, 400% more melatonin than they say they contain in some yes. cases. That yes, is yes. a really disturbing yes. figure. Now, Sarah, we have been speaking about the things that drive parents to to come to you. And obviously, you know, parents want to make sure their children are having a good sleep for health reasons. 
kids. But there can be these impacts on families too, can't there, that it's actually logistically hard if everyone's awake all night and tired, you know, to sustain your working life. What are some of the interventions that can help families that don't involve medication? Does that depend Mm. really what the cause of the sleep problem is? Absolutely spot on. Uh, There are three reasons why little people or big people don't sleep very well, and that would be uh, physiological. So maybe they're snoring, maybe they've got restless leg syndrome, maybe they've got nightmares or night terrors, too hot, too cold, that kind of thing. Something physiological that's going to interrupt their sleep. That is difficulty getting to sleep and difficulty staying asleep and not being able to get back to sleep um, adequately, quickly overnight. There's the second one is psychological. So clearly what the child is feeling, what's going on for their family, uh, levels of stress, levels of mental health disorders, um, development and behaviour. Most particularly, we, we psychologists like to understand why people do stuff. So uh, why is this child getting out of bed you know, 10 times at night time? Why are they not sleeping alone? Why are they frightened? Um, why are they not able to settle by themselves? Those important questions are usually have a psychological basis if it's that stream. And the third reason is environmental. What are they reading? What are they watching? What are they on? What, what screens are they using? What are they eating, drinking, watching? So those three things interreact to be able to um, help or hinder a child to sleep. So the first thing that we would do is understand what's going on, what's the routine, what's the situation in the house, like any clinical interview, if you like, we understand how the family's functioning. And then we understand the dynamic between the parents and the child, because that's always a dynamic. One family might say that the child needs to sleep by themselves and there should, there should be no interaction. And that child might be extremely anxious, stressed, worried, or unable to be by themselves at that point in their lives. Um, and another family might say that, look, I really don't want to upset my child at all, so I will give them everything that they want at bedtime. And that makes the child very, very dependent on their parent to be able to settle. So somewhere in that mix, we psychologists will try and find out how we can improve the psychological functioning of the family to improve a child's, for example, anxiety or stress or worry about being alone. Um, the confidence to be able to be alone. I've written a book called The Boss of My Sleep Book, which tries and helps young people who need a parent to be with them to be able to be brave enough and proud of themselves to sleep alone because, of course, in our society, that is a very high priority. So it's really um, unpacking all those things and changing the behaviour Management, And that's what psychology is, is Mm. behaviour management, particularly in children. So, Sarah, I've got a couple of quick questions before we have to finish up. Those sound like fantastic interventions, but something that a family might well need professional help with. How widely available is that kind of help around Australia? Um, around Australia, we um, I belong to the Behavioural Sleep Medicine, which is what that is, um, of the Australasian Sleep Association and also a community of practice. And there'd be 40, 50 around Australia. Now, that's not a lot, you have to tell me, with all the young children that might not be sleeping. We are working very hard at disseminating that information through GP practices, through GP education, paediatrician education, through psychological education and improving our workforce so that we have the um, ability to be able to get those referrals from GPs and help these families to navigate the behavioural changes needed to be able to improve sleep. It's getting better. We're not enough yet, but they're there. And I think it's great that this program can get that out there so that people will know, go to their GP and and go searching for a sleep psychologist, someone who's got qualifications um, in psychology, which is not the same as some other streams of sleep 
um, therapists that are out there. So psychology is the key and, to that. And just to finish up with Sarah, the new international guidelines are imminent. The International Paediatric Sleep Association is publishing them in February, guidelines for safe levels for prescribing melatonin to children. Will they give us some more certainty? They will, absolutely. Um, these, uh, I'm on the Melatonin Task Force for the International Paediatric Sleep Association. We've worked tirelessly over the last two years to get these guidelines done. They've been to peer review of the big bodies in America and Australia, um, and everybody's happy with them. And the last email that I just got this morning says that it's imminent. So they will give clarity to the medical and allied health professionals on how to use melatonin in the, uh, in the areas that we need it. And then we're going to tackle the children that don't have a diagnosis and see how we go with that. Excellent news. Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. It's been very enlightening. Great. Thanks for having me. Bye now. Professor Sarah Blunden, paediatric sleep specialist, psychologist and a director on the board of the International Paediatric Sleep Association. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 